Hello and welcome to Live Your Wow. I'm Amy Preston and it is my absolute purpose in life to empower women to truly value themselves and step into their very best self in body, mind and confidence. I hope you enjoy this podcast and if at any point you think, oh my gosh, I would love to work with Amy as my coach, please do just drop me a message on Instagram at APFitCoach and please do help me on my mission to empower as many women as possible. Like, share, rate, follow, subscribe to this podcast. Without further ado, let's get stuck in. Hello and welcome to your latest episode of Live Your Wow. I am over the moon today because I have got one phenomenal guest in today. So I've got the lovely, wonderful Jean Lynch. Now, Jean is an incredible psychotherapist and I am so grateful because Jean is also the in-house psychotherapist within my coaching program, The Wow Academy. So Jean also has this amazing superpower and I reckon you're going to get this some of this through today, through this episode. She can take someone from feeling incredibly low, sad, sitting with those emotions and then the next second, they're laughing their heads off, fits of hysteric. And honestly, it is an incredible skill that Jean has. So I wanted to get Jean on today just to kind of let you know what kind of makes a psychotherapist tick a little bit, but give you an insight into the way that Jean and I work together, what Jean's mission is, and to take you on a bit of a roller coaster of emotions with us as well today. And of course, to have a little bit of fun. So welcome, lovely Jean. <laughs> What an intro. Oh my God, my head will be huge, but I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, so excited to have you here, Jean. So do you want to start by just kind of telling us a little bit about you and what you do and a little bit of an insight into you and your life? Yeah, so I guess, um, God, where do I start? So my name is Jean Lynch. I'm a psychotherapist from Cork in Ireland, which means when I come on to calls like this, I have to massively slow down. (laughs) Because in Ireland, in Cork particularly, we talk very quickly, so I have to slow everything down. Um, And I am a mum. I have two young kids. I have Sophia, who is five, and I have Sebastian, who is three. Um, It is manic, but I love it. Um, I'm a psychotherapist who runs my own private therapy clinic, but then I also work with lovely coaches like you, who have me within their communities. And I helped at work directly in the community doing some psychoeducation and we do some therapy calls and I just love it. I love my line of work and it's something that I always wanted to do, but was never sure if I could do it. So as soon as I started kind of like, all right, let's go for it. And now I'm here. I'm like, I'm so glad I did. But yeah, that's who, that's who I am in a nutshell. Amazing. <laughs> love it. Great intro to yourself there. And like, what what is it that kind of, why do you do what you do basically why are you a psychotherapist what got you into it and then what got you into kind of more working with coaches and the way you work with me as well and my coaching program um so I guess if we went right back so I have some childhood trauma behind me which I kept well firstly for a lot of years I didn't know it was there I didn't quite understand it um I got a diagnosis of PTSD then later in life so then I realized why it was all suppressed so much So I struggled an awful lot in childhood and in teenage years with this kind of feeling of, I don't even know what this is. I just know it's terrifying, but I don't know what it is. Um, Felt very alone, very scared. Then at about 19, it all came to a head. And again, nobody around me knew what was happening. So I was very alone in it. So I was sent to a psychotherapist. And let me tell you, because if anybody comes to therapy and they're like, I'm so sorry, I don't know where to start. 
I've been there. I lied for a good, I want to say two years <laughs> to that psychotherapist. She didn't have a clue what was happening. She was so lovely, so sweet. And then after two years, I felt comfortable enough to start actually talking and being speaking my truth and telling her what was going on. So then from there, at the same time, I was studying social care. So I was originally in social care line of work and I was always drawn to doing the therapeutic side of it. So really enjoyed that. Like people, I guess kids, it was always kids that I was drawn to first who maybe felt lost, felt really alone, felt really misunderstood. And I felt like I could relate to that because I was there like before. And then as I started to kind of go through my own psychotherapy, learn about myself, learn about my trauma and find tools and find support around me be able to talk about it. I was like, this is actually fucking amazing. Like I firmly believe that this was with me for life and I would never, ever get to even a point of, I always said, thought like, I won't make it through my thirties. I also probably will never have kids as a result of this. And I'm like, now look at me. Like, this is something I never thought I would ever achieve. And even to be in like a secure, stable, romantic relationship was another thing that I never thought I would ever have. I very much have that. I'm very happy with that. And it kind of like, as I started to step into it, I was like, this is actually amazing. And I really enjoy being here. And I find that like, maybe I have a natural ability in it. And I remember speaking to my therapist, sort of going, I'm thinking of studying psychotherapy. And she was like, go for it, go for it, go for it, go for it. So then I did and I absolutely loved it and I kind of it's kind of like um, a hyper fixation of mine where I like love learning about psychology and I love learning about human behavior and emotions and even the fact of learning how to sit with an emotion and acknowledge it the difference that can make to you is massive um, and I love that and then so I was very much working with kids first I started kind of doing children's therapeutic kind of approaches first and then um I started moving towards adults, incorporating adults in. And then my partner was working within the fitness industry. So he's sometimes a country saying, I can't get my head around this. I can't get my head around why this client is struggling with this. I'm like, oh yeah, well, that makes complete sense because this, this, and this. And he'd be like, what? And I'm like, did you not know this? And he'd be like, no, I did not know this. So I kind of started to realize that there was a huge gap there. And I often felt kind of like all these people just, if they, if they just had this slight unlock, this slight little access to learning about their mindset, that would so like just make things dramatically easier, but also help them realize what the true issues are. That it's not down to like their food and their steps or any of these things. It's actually down to their mindset. And I, I love that. And then um, and then I met you and you were like, please, please come in. And I was like, I don't know, can I do these? And you were so kind of like, come on, we, you know, we'll be re- we'll work really well together. And I, I think we're really well mixed. And I was like, yeah, okay, okay, let's do it. And <laughs> then I found working with you working with the females that we work with they are just oh they're just inspiring because they lean into both aspects so like I'm covering the mindset and you're covering the nutrition and exercise which I don't have a clue about so we work really well together in that way and then it's their ability to take both and lean in and ask for that support and then to see even the things of like how like from my aspect, we teach them fear, self-compassion. And it seems like something that is so underrated in like, if people are thinking, I don't need self-compassion to lose weight. I don't need self-compassion to run a marathon. Yes, you fucking do. <laughs> and as soon as you start creating that, the impact it has, and it ripples out to everything. And that's just one thing that we teach. It gives me such a kick to see. And I love seeing it happen. And then it's kind of like, I get to step, like, step back and just be like, I'm so proud <laughs> I helped make this happen and it's just so fulfilling to me so 
so yeah that, that that's why I got into it that's how oh Jean thank you and thank you for your honesty there in kind of terms of your past and really opening up and I just find that so inspirational and I love that authenticity from you and it's just I know people will listen to you now people who know you and will hear that and think wow like I didn't know that about Jean and it will give people such a sense of hope and yeah. I I love hope like it's something that I've called upon so much in the past and there was such a sense of hope for you there and you've now shown and got through that and look at you now like transforming women's lives like on a deep deep level and I'm so glad like so I was in the business mentorship where your partner works and yeah. I I remember kind of feeling quite lost in there at the time and lost with my clients a bit because I was thinking well, actually, I I stopped being a personal trainer because I, I knew it was deeper and I mm-hmm. couldn't change people just through kind of seeing them through an hour a week just for the exercise part. And I, like you, have past trauma and wanted to help people on that deeper level. So I remember saying to your partner, I want to help people on a deeper level, but I'm not necessarily equipped and I want to change people's lives forever for good. And it's not just simply about the diet and exercise part. Yeah, that's probably 20% of it really. But, and he directed me to you and I'm like, so, so happy our paths <laughs> cross that way because yeah. I think we're like more than a year and a half on working together and it's, yeah, just been mm-hmm. an amazing ride. And we've been able to really change and support women and guide them and empower them on yeah. such a deeper level with kind of having you there so yeah thank you for that amazing no, and I think it's really commendable as well that you did acknowledge what you wanted to achieve but that you needed support to do it because I think there is you know this kind of gap where people feel like they have to do it all yeah. they have to provide everything for their clients mindset wise well. and that's it's actually really hard work to do like there's reasons why like psychotherapists are accredited monitored supervised we constantly like to keep our accreditation, we have to be upskilling and showing it. And we have so many criteria to meet. So for coaches to kind of just take that on, it's in, like it's it's a recipe for burnout, but also for you to be either traumatized yourself by your own traumas or vicariously traumatized where you take on other people's stuff. And it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. So it's really commendable that like what it reminds me of is when you come into psychotherapy, you have to take an oath and that oath is do no harm. Yeah. And I feel like that should be an oath within the fitness industry as well. But unfortunately, it's not. And you do see a lot of harm being done. And I think that that is very much a testament to you that you were like, I do want this, my clients, but I want to do it safely. And I want to do it in a way that really respects them, acknowledges their needs. So that kind of like do no harm very much came into your action step there. And you decided, no, I'm actually going to really give my clients what they need and in a safe way. And, and that, that's what we've created together. And I love that. Yeah. And it's amazing, Jean. And like, you've already just mentioned there about the self-compassion. And for me, self-compassion and the fierce self-compassion, particularly yeah. that we talk about so much is a key part of our coaching. It's a key part of the WOW Academy and what we do. And I truly believe that lasting change cannot happen without mm-hmm. self-compassion. I think as part of behavior change, which is what, all our women go through to get lasting results I Mm. think you're going to hit a bit of a relapse in behavior change and I think that's where the self-compassion comes in what Mm. are your thoughts on self-compassion and the importance of it for lasting change well I think self-compassion is really misunderstood Mm. and I think that's why it gets thrown out of a transformation journey when it comes to fitness and your health people think that it makes them lazy it makes them to 
make excuses it causes them to give up it causes them to lean into unhealthy coping mechanisms like oh you've had a tough day get the mcdonald's and stuff like that and the thing is that those things are all true it does cause those things but that's when you have a faulty self-compassion that's when it's not actually aligned with what you need in life so what we do in the Y academy is we teach the the women ways to align their self-compassion with their actual true self-worth first of all and their goals so the way I liken it to be is that you are reparenting yourself. So if you imagine, if you maybe did not want to get up out of bed to go for your walk, what I liken that to be is kind of like your child going to school in the morning. What kid wants to get up out of bed at half seven in the morning to get ready for school, right? But if your self-compassion was faulty there, you would say, do you know what, darling? Stay in bed. You're right. It's very early. It's hard. So you don't like it. I know you stay in bed. That's faulty compassion. But it's amazing how for our kids, we can say, I love you. Get the fuck up out of the bed. <laughs> because I want to provide you with um, further opportunity. I want you to be educated. I want you to have social connection. I want to mind your mental well-being, your physical well-being. I want you to learn and have opportunity because I love you. We do that for kids, but we struggle to do that for ourselves. So in those moments where you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, you say, okay, I love myself right now. I want this goal for myself get the fuck up <laughs> get up out of the bed and go because I love you and I want this for you I'm going to give you a kick now a little bit because I love you so it's coming from a place of love it's not the one that berates you because I think that's people get confused and I teach this sometimes in the way of so am I saying to myself like you know you're you're embarrassing you know you need to cop on that's not self-compassion that's a harsh and a critic because we can speak to ourselves that way as well in a transformation journey where we become very critical of oh my god do not say that to Jean and Amy that is so embarrassing they're going to think you're the worst kind ever like you're a joke what made you think you could do this you're going to fail anyway they're all thinking distortions paired with a harsh and a critic and the thing is I bring that back to self-compassion again so the the visualization I will always use is that piece of you that is trying to develop and grow that is your eight-year-old self so if I turned around to my eight-year-old self and I said, you're embarrassment, Amy's going to hate you, you're going to fail anyway. Is, would I say that to an eight-year-old child? No, oh my God, I would not. And that's not going to help that child to want to keep going, to feel like they can keep going, nor are they more inclined to actually do it. They're more inclined to just to freeze and either go backwards or regress. So it's about teaching that kind of fierce self-compassion. That gets you up and moving in a way that nurtures you and loves you. And it actually makes you so resilient. And we see it over and over again with the women in the community who like, like I've had a really tough day. I'm really struggling. I took myself off for a swim. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And now my mindset feels better. Now I feel more capable and physically I feel better. And, you know, they feel like they can move on with the day. So now that they have learned how to implement it, it's kind of like uh, almost like um, an operating system. Once you install it and you make the effort to keep it going, the impact that it makes, and it doesn't just stay in your fitness, it ripples out everywhere, everywhere. And what I love about it is so many women in the community are mothers and the fact that they're role modeling this to their kids. And you see it, like some of the moms have said their kids are coming okay. forward we're kind of like displaying, being talking about their emotions and being compassionate and role modeling is incredible of an impact. So it ripples out so much further than just them. Yeah. And if anyone is also listening to this and saying, I've got no motivation, I always yeah. say, you've got no fear, self-compassion, if you're saying yeah. that. 
because they are so linked aren't they yeah because you don't need motivation no no what child is motivated to go to school unless it's like a party day or whatever I nearly tearing my child out of the bed at half seven most morning no child is motivated to go to school but us with our compassion knowing what it's going to give them we encourage them we we get them out of the bed and that's what your self-compassion is yeah, and I love it. And I just think it is why our women get lasting results. I truly, truly believe it. It's why. And I see that as one of the key kind of mindset and barriers that does hold so many women back from achieving what they want in life, not just body goals, but not just fitness goals, but life goals as well. And often being stuck in relationships and situations where they're not happy. I think it's not having that awareness of that fierce self-compassion as well. And I think when women come into us and they really start learning that and learning how to actually live it it's mm-hmm. life-changing it truly is so powerful yeah because it's empowering mm-hmm. because I think a lot of, like I I know I speak for myself sometimes when you sign up to a fitness program things are given to you mm-hmm. and almost kind of like delegated out like my coach is going to give me my feedback my coach is going to tell me how many calories they're going to prompt me and say come on you can do this so we kind of all set things outwards but for your self-compassion, we can't do that for you. Yeah, We can nudge you and make you aware of, oh, that's a little bit harsh of a critic there. Can we pull that back? And we'll nudge and promote it. But after a while, it just becomes an operating system that is up and running that we have nothing to do with. Yeah. It, 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 it's not going to be like it belongs to us and it stays with us when you leave the program. It goes with them as well, which is what I love to see. Yeah, I love to see that. And it it shows people it's you doing the work. When you learn these skills, it's you doing the work. Yeah, we we give you the tools, but we don't change your life. Yes. You do that. And it's so empowering being able to be able to say, yeah, I've changed my life. I've made these changes. I've had these wins this week today. Like, it's so good. Yeah, it, it, it brings that sense of pride as well. We're mm. more inclined to actually acknowledge I've done well and I'm proud of myself because instead... That is now the operating system. Instead of it being that harsh and a critic that is driving it forward, yeah. it's now the fear of self-compassion that is nurturing, proud, parenting. It's all of these things, yeah. which is so much nicer of a place to operate from. Yeah. And Jean, you must use it a lot yourself because I know you juggle so much. Like you've got your two lovely kids. You've got your lovely partner. You've got your own business. You've got multiple clients. Like it. It's crazy how much you're doing, but you come across just, yeah, everything's fine. But I'm sure you're calling upon for your self-compassion quite a lot too. Very much so. <laughs> and like for anybody who's like, oh, she does all these things. And <laughs> it doesn't look like that. If somebody following her for the day, they would go, oh yeah, she loses her mind at times. And I do, but that's where I need it then. And, you know, and I, I really want to stress that because I know that there's a lot of, like we speak to moms who want to set up their own businesses and, you know, do career changes. and like I think people get this kind of thing on a pedestal of like oh she's doing it all she's a superwoman my house downstairs is in shit (laughs) (laughs) like it was clean yesterday now it's the state and I know I need to go down and there's going to be like toys everywhere there's going to be dishes that need to be put into the dishwasher there's washing baskets are overflowing so it's about kind of like I you know I think we have this thing around balance that you know everything should be like evenly balanced out like you get your walking every day you get a healthy meal and your kids are happy you read them a bedtime story going to bed you get date nights with your partner that's I think what we think balances and that's not doable at all the way I like it to be is that it's almost like a dance and you've all different partners to dance with so this could be you know um your relationship with your kids this could be nurturing parenting this could be 
prepping meals. This could be your exercise, promoting your business. And each one needs to take a lead every now and again. But if one is always in the lead, so if it was always my business in the lead, then that's going to lead me to feel like I may be a sense of guilt or overwhelm or, you know, anxiety. So what I like to do is I like to cycle them. So if I find like, okay, I've done an awful lot of work this week, I'm going to take my kids swimming just so we can really have that one-to-one time or I need to organize a date night with my partner. And we will cycle these things. And that does link into fear self-compassion because where people sometimes feel like they need self-compassion to get moving, where I actually needed it is to get me to rest because I tend not to rest. That's my fault. Or I will keep going on. That's my risk of burnout. So those moments where if I'm kind of like, oh God, I am exhausted and I don't want to do this. And I don't know if I'm maybe self-sabotaging or making excuses, or if I genuinely do need rest, I make bargains with myself. Okay, I'm going to go and go to the gym for a little while and afterwards rest. I'm going to go to the gym and only train shoulders because that's my favorite thing to do. I'm going to go and only train shoulders because then I'm going and I'm doing something like, and usually by the time I'm up there and I'm training, I'm like, actually, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little bit of chest, I'll do a little bit of back, I'll throw it in. So then it can escalate and I can find, actually, yeah, you know, I was just self-sabotaging there. Or, yeah, I'm still fucking wrecked. So I'm going to go home and we're going to do freezer tapas where the kids are going to choose food from the fridge that is beige and I'm going to cook them and I'm going to rest instead and I'm going to sit down and leave the washing for the night and I'm just going to rest. And that's where my fear of compassion comes in because that also is something that affects us as women where we are constantly going and we don't know how to rest and we get guilty for resting as well because we don't see the value in it. And I think that's what's getting lost. And that's not just women, that's everyone where we don't see the value in our rest because we just see it as like sitting, waiting and it's wasting time. But actually it is an energy exchange. I call it energy creation time. So you're sitting down and you're building back up that fuel tank to then, so you're ready to go again tomorrow. So that's the way I view it. And that's how then that pairs together with your self-compassion. So yeah, I may seem like I'm doing it all, but it's on a very strict schedule and it has plenty of juggling acts and everything's going on. And sometimes one of the balls fall, usually the washing, usually the dishwasher. Anybody who comes to my trainings, I always hook with the dishwasher. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about the dishwasher. <laughs> it causes a lot of arguments, causes a lot of stress at dishwasher. <laughs> All the dishwasher fault. Um, so yeah, I, I may seem like I'm doing it all, but I am the same in everyone of I'm just trying my best using the tools that I have. And a big part of that is communication, learning how to communicate with my support system around me, asking for what I need, if giving feedback here and there. And that's a big part of our family dynamic here is we communicate on everything to the point I think sometimes my child goes into school and probably overly communicates sometimes. <laughs> and they're a bit like, oh, that child doesn't stop talking I'm like yes I am aware she's mine (laughs) oh I love it and do you know what what you've said there about that communication and like the Mm -hmm. communication with the children you bring that into wow academy so much and Mm -hmm. I love the dynamic because I don't have kids yeah who knows who knows still could happen one day um but you do and we work with loads of mums and it's just lovely having that dynamic and like you posted something to one of our ladies I think it was earlier this week and it was about communicating with your child and asking them what they're proud of as well as what you're proud of at the end of the day and you wrote a really lovely note to her within our community and I actually screenshot it and sent it to my sister to share with my little niece and she's like oh that's so lovely and it is just you add this just great dynamic and this power and just education as well for women to kind of know actually how to even 
better your parenting skills. So you get so much when you join us. It's like people simply join because they think I'm unhappy with my weight. I'm unhappy with my body. I want to change that. But oh my gosh, it is truly life-changing, isn't it? And it touches every part of your life. And yeah, we have so many trainings on so many things that will impact yeah. your journey, essentially. And I, I think it's it's right to kind of honor the parent because any parents that come in, they may say like, you know, oh, the kids are sick this week or the kids have school holidays. And usually what I commonly see is anyone who's a parent, the things that are more likely to show you off are your kids so cruel to say but it is true because they are the biggest part of our lives and they're also the biggest part of our identities for a lot of years of our lives so to honor that and usually if we can help them in any way to make parenting easier or even just to say talk to us about parenting this week and they go oh my god I'm about to lose my mind and you go I get it and just have a place to vent like we have our group therapy calls not recorded for exactly that reason so you can cry you can laugh you can bitch and it's not recorded it's not put anywhere and that works really well especially for the women who are mums so they can just have that rant and just say I'm so fed up with the kids and you can go I get it because it is such an energy expenditure to be a parent and even if we can teach little things like that little tip around how to speak to your kids about you know what are you proud of this week mm-hmm. and you roll Molly and say thank you that I'm proud of what are you proud of so they're learning like emotional intelligence at the same time learning how to communicate with your kids because I've worked with teenagers and so many parents come to me and say, how do I get my teenager to talk to me? And I'm like, you need a fucking time machine because this needs to start with them as kids. Mm-hmm. Trying to start as teenagers, it's a whole new dynamic that they're going, you weirdo, I'm not talking to you now. So it, you can obviously do things with teenagers too, but it's easier to start from their kids. And I, that tip that I gave was also to talk about, you know, what did you have to be brave for today? Yeah. Because it gets them talking about hard things. And gets them talking about confusing things and gets them talking about things that maybe feel a bit vulnerable to them, but also putting a positive spin on it. Like you were brave, even talking about this is brave. So it gets them speaking about both sides of both positive, but also challenging things. So it's a lo- lovely little thing that we do within the community as well is that kind of like little parenting segments where we get support for the moments because it is exhausting at times. And I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. And I hope that the listeners can kind of hear from this, the kind of depth and level that we go into but mm-hmm. it's because, isn't it? Like, like I was going to ask you about why you think so many people do struggle to get results. And mm-hmm. you can see here from the level of issues and problems and emotional struggles and life getting in the way, why mm-hmm. it is so hard. So what would you say, Jean, are the kind of big things that hold people back from getting results in terms of physical, in terms of anything in their life? What do you think it is that is kind of throwing people off all the time and leading people to a stop-start cycle or yo-yo dieting? I think there's a couple of things in the mix. I think there's the expectation of what we should be like versus what reality is. And that's a big thing of social media and media in general of like, and I know that it's a big thing within our generation. Like I remember growing up reading like, was that like OK magazine? Mm-hmm. And it would list like, Kelly Brook, age 28, at eight stone, whatever. And thinking that that was completely normal because it was normal back then. So you need to think that we've grown up with that, first of all. So that's in our head around our weight is important and knowing exactly what we weigh all the times. And that's like, that's our self-worth metric there. That's where we're measuring it. That's a big part of it because that's going to get in the way of how you truly feel. Because even if you try on a pair of jeans, let's say, and you go, oh my God, these feel lovely on me today. I feel like I look really good in them. 
I feel really healthy. I can run up a flight of stairs. I can play with my kids. I'm having so much fun. Oh, I feel really good about myself. And then you step on scales and it says you have gained weight or loss or stayed the same or whatever it is. And you're going, oh my gosh, oh, I'm so disappointed now. And that's because that metric has been given to you by the media because it sells, right? But the big, and that, that can be a cycle and that goes around and around because maybe then as a result of you feeling so low, you need to now soothe yourself. And often, you know, we don't know long-term healthy coping mechanisms. Usually the most strongest ones within us are the long are the short-term helpful ones. So things like emotional eating, things like drinking, things like um, avoidance. So maybe you decide today, you know what, fuck it, I'm not going to the gym. It's not making any difference. Or I'm not going to do my check-in today because clearly this isn't working. And we can engage in all these things, which then causes you to fall off the wagon. I say that in, you know, cause because there is no wagon right it's life and then that's what can start that kind of on and off cycle and but bringing your awareness to it of kind of like actually you felt really good before you stepped in scales there's so many other ways to measure your progress and your self-worth in this and as soon as we can identify because everybody's is different as soon as you can identify your own now you have a more steady stable metric that is actually aligned with your values as well which means you're going to feel better as you move through it and you're more inclined to move through it um I guess another big reason is like it reminds me when I first started therapy struggling with the same thing as to why won't I do the things that I want to do like why won't I do these things and she said to me she was like well what's the most important organ in your body and I was like and she was like well what is that? I was like your brain and she's like fantastic yeah which organ told you that I was like, oh, my brain. <laughs> so like our mind controls so much, actually all of what we do. So all of your behaviors, all of your values, everything would be dictated by your mind. So if you think that it's all down to just, I'll just do the steps, just do the steps, I'll just do the work, let's just eat the food. Yeah, that may work for a little while, but eventually your mind's going to go, what are you doing? This isn't what we want. This isn't what we said was going to happen in the future. Let us get, gather back control here and let us take it back within us and have control of it again so it will get in the way that way um and I know I was talking in the community today about you know sometimes people can find out the why 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 am I doing these things why am I doing these things and we can't get completely paralyzed by the why 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 am I emotion eating why am I behaving like this why am I self-sabotaging and when we can't figure out the why we can get really annoyed with ourselves really frustrated give up because we can't well what's the point if I can't figure out where all this came from I'll never be able to fix it. But the thing is, sometimes you don't need to know the why. And the story that I told to explain this was um, my little girl, Sophia, when she was two, we went to New York and there was this water park. And when you stepped on these circles on the ground, water would shoot out in another part of the playground. And she thought it was hilarious. We came home and there was these little water caps, you know, the little water uh, tank things on the ground when you're walking on a footpath. She would stand on them thinking that this was hilarious because water was going to shoot out somewhere else and we would all laugh so we promoted the behavior um and then she continued doing it right she's now nearly six and she still does it and I asked her I said why, why do you do that wondering would she remember where it came from I was like I don't know but I just feel like it would be fun I just feel like I want to do it and I was like oh okay so she doesn't know the why she doesn't know where it came from because a lot of her behaviors a lot of her psychological stuff will happen before we even have the memory capacity to remember it. So, you know, trying to figure out the why for her was never going to be doable. She was never going to be able to reach into that depth of her mind. 
But the interesting thing is there, she wasn't going to know the why because it's before her memory. But also my son, Sebastian, he was there, but he was just five months old. So he wasn't running around the playground. He definitely wasn't engaging in any of these behaviors that created this why. But he does it because it was role modeled by her. He watched her. Now he does it. He has no idea, nor is it his why. He inherited it. So a lot of the things that we do sometimes are inherited. So if you're thinking of things like, why do I emotionally eat? Ask yourself, does your, any of your parents emotionally eat? Maybe, you know, avoidance. Do you see when it, either of maybe your parents or any other monumental figure, authority figure around you, how do they deal with stress? You could, this could be an inherited behavior that is then throwing off. So really you don't need to know the why because it's not yours. So instead it's about the how. How do I move forward with this? How do I support myself out of this? Who do I need to help me out of this that can maybe give me those expertise and give me new ways of doing this? That's actually more important of a question to ask yourself if you're struggling with the why. Um, and I think a lot of the ladies have figured out that actually just taking action sometimes is what they need because as you start to give your brain more evidence of actually with these new strategies, I don't emotionally eat anymore or it's downregulated, don't feel the desire for it as strongly anymore. So actually, I never needed to figure out the why. But now I'm giving my mind new evidence that I can do this. And it, it pushes them forward. It gives them more self-belief and more confidence in going forward. So yeah, I went off on a tangent there. But no, no, and I love that. But like on that like note of emotional eating as well, and there is so much power because often we'll get questions and people asking, oh, can you help me like with my mm -hmm. cravings? What can I do with my cravings? And it's actually, well, firstly, recognize your thoughts around it that's the first mm -hmm. step with everything and then how is it starting to impact your behaviors and I think it's so key and we do a lot with you on CBT and thinking mm -hmm. distortions and bringing awareness to that but it's so empowering to know that just because you're feeling that craving it doesn't mean you need to honor the craving you have the strength and the power within you and like you just said there it's about kind of proving to yourself showing up for yourself that actually mm -hmm. I am stronger than this feeling yeah, recognizes my brain. Yeah, I think sometimes as soon as you're able to bring it to the surface and show them kind of like, ta-da, this is a behavior that comes out of motivation. They go, oh, I do that. And now suddenly it no longer belongs to them. And as soon as it starts to happen, they can go, oh, that's, that's colluding or that's, you know, um, putting things on a pedestal, you know, and we can have all these things that happen. So like colluding is where you have a desire. Maybe you've had a tough day, or, you know, you're just feeling burnt out or you're just, you know, having a tough time and you want to get takeaway. So, you know, you want to emotionally eat. And like, I, I it's funny because I know a lot of the trainings that I give, a lot of the examples are me. So <laughs> of this was one of the big triggers for emotional eating is tiredness. So the main ones are hungry, being anxious or angry and um, being lonely or alone or being tired. So when I had Sophie and Sebastian, neither of the two of them slept until they were two and a half. So like every night waking every four or five minutes, every hour for two and a half years was absolutely not even exhausting, torture. Um, and so all four of those were being hit. And I remember I would come downstairs after finally getting them to bed um, knowing that I had like an hour before they were awake again. And I would look at my partner and go, so, oh, I'm so tired. Oh my God, I don't even want to cook anything. And he wrote me and go, okay. And I go, oh, just the idea of cooking right now is exhausting. And he went, do you want to get takeaway? I go, oh, that's a fantastic idea. Do you want to get takeaway? That's a brilliant idea. 
so that's called colluding where we have to get somebody else to engage with us in the behavior because now it doesn't have as negative an emotion around it now it's a shared thing you can't judge me because you're engaging in it too you know there, there's not enough negative emotions because now I've shared it with somebody so that's colluding we also have euphoric recall which is the one I was telling you I don't know if you can remember so long ago we did this one um euphoric recall is where you put food on a pedestal so I did this with cronuts. They were, I don't know, has anybody else ever tried them? The mix between the croissant and the donut. They bought them into our local chain of shops like a few years ago now, more than a few years ago. I'm getting old. Um, but they uh, were lovely. They gave me one free with a coffee. And I was like, my God, that's beautiful. Lovely. Moved on with my life. And the next day I went into that shop. I was like, I wonder if they have any more of them. They're like, oh my God, no. They've been sold out. You can't, you can't, can't keep them in stock. And I was like, damn it, no, I really want one. So the next tough day I was having, I was like constantly going in, trying to find these cronuts. They weren't in sale. You know, they all sold out. Then I came in, I saw one lady bringing a big giant tray of them out of the freezer. So 24 frozen cronuts were coming out of the freezer. And I said, oh my God, like I I, I want one. And she said, oh darling, they're frozen. You know, I'd have to leave the frost. I went, no, no, I'll take them all. And I will take them all frozen. And I took them, I bought them, came home to my fitness individual partner. And he was like, why do you have 24 frozen cronuts? I was like, I don't know, but I've really wanted these for so long. And now they're here. <laughs> and because of that euphoric recall, eight one, I went, oh, I remember them being nicer. Remember that being, maybe it's because it's half frozen. I'll leave it thaw out. Had another one, I went, oh, okay. I, mm, I thought that would be nicer too. Maybe it's because it's a different flavor. I ended up preparing to eat a lot of frozen cronuts realizing <laughs> not as nice as I remember and that's euphoric recall where we put food on a pedestal like I think everybody's experienced that where maybe they go back and they get the same takeaway again they go oh they must change the chef or they must change the recipe this isn't nice as I remember that's euphoric recall where we put food on a pedestal but if you can then see that when it's happening like Cadbury's cream eggs is the one now at the minute yes. like, all over social media people are like oh, I need to get myself one of the salted caramel cream eggs and I'm going do you <laughs> Or are you doing euphoric recall here? Or you're seeing other people put them up and you're thinking, this is going to be amazing. The best food I've ever eaten in my life. The likelihood is it's not. Otherwise, it wouldn't just be like a euro. <laughs> it's going to be a lot more expensive. And as well, you know, a lot of these things that we really desire are available all year round. But we put them on the pedestal. Like you can buy Cadbury's cream eggs and put them in your cupboard and they will last like many, many months. Same thing at Christmas. It's a big time. Mulled wine, mince pies. Like a lot of these things have very long expiry dates. Same wine, you can make mud wine any time of the year, right? But we put them on a pedestal because they have a shelf life that we have created upon them. Um, so yeah, emotional eating, as soon as you start to see all the behaviors that align with it, suddenly you can go, that's not me, that's emotional eating. And we kind of offset it outside of ourselves and it lessens the impact of it, gives you back a little bit of control around it then. Yeah, and I love that. And I love like over Christmas, I remember we spoke a lot about this, like you just said there about the mince pies, and everyone's like, I don't like mince pies, yeah. but you know, I just ate ten of them. Yeah. <laughs> I know we, we can eat things that we don't like. I don't know, do they have it in the UK? Barn brack? Do you have that? Oh, I know what it is. Yeah, I know. What Halloween, it is. Yeah. where you get a little yeah. ring in the fruit yeah. brack. Fruit brack is disgusting. <laughs> I think I might only know what it is from my mark, though, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's disgusting. But yeah, we all eat it on Halloween for some reason, um, just because it's that time of the year when we feel like we're meant to and it's going to be gone again. You can still buy fruit brack, just doesn't have a ring in it. Like, you can get it any time of the year. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So like, you've just gone over so many things there in terms of like what 
does hold people back and why it's not just diet and exercise mm. like we've covered like the emotional eating the cycle mm. of kind of pinning that value on the scales there and all or nothing mindset as well and these mm. are all like the things that a lot of our listeners right now will be thinking yeah yeah maybe this is why I haven't been able to get results and we hope that kind of by us chatting you can kind of really see that and feel that and we hope that it kind of makes you think yeah actually maybe I do need a bit of a deeper support if I really am going to get these lasting results for sure but one thing like I find it quite challenging at times and it's something that really frustrates me because like you I am so so passionate about really empowering women to not just settle in their life to not live a life that is not really aligned with them to not live Mm -hmm. a life in line with their values but so many women are Mm -hmm. um and so many women listening to this will be thinking yeah maybe I am I'm not happy that I've chatted to a lot of women the last few weeks who are quite deeply unhappy with things but are still worried about kind of taking that plunge trying something different and working with a coach or trying Mm -hmm. something different to that they have tried before. And I often hear women say, oh, I'll go back to that Weight Watchers diet or that diet because, yeah, that worked for me at the time. And Mm -hmm. it's more they're going back to it because they're just comfortable with it. So Mm -hmm. what would you say to someone who is thinking, I feel stuck, I am unhappy kind of physically, mentally. I do know I need to do something. I can't carry on like this, but I'm scared. What would you say to them, Jean? So I think it's quite funny, like, and I get it. I do get it too, that the people who repeatedly go back to Slimming World and Weight Watchers because it worked before. It reminds me of, you know, like I'm, I, I'm totally outing myself here. I am a big Love Island fan, right? So if you're on Love Island when they say, oh, what's your type? That always makes me laugh because I'm like, if your type worked for you, then you wouldn't be here. <laughs> why, are you, why do you have a type that clearly has not worked? Like, and you're, and you're putting yourself in this box. Like if you had a type, you wouldn't be single, right? You you would have found your man or your woman and you would be there, right? So it's the same thing goes as well. If you're constantly returning consistently to the same diet that has not worked long-term, then it has not worked. Like you're just torturing yourself by going back to things repeatedly. It's it's not going to work long-term if you're, if you're fooling yourself, you think it is. Um, but... Yeah, I, th- I think the scary bit of it is, is because it's different. And I think there, there's a thinking distortion called um, future predicting. So you can start to predict the future. And a lot of people say, well, I've tried that before and it didn't work. I was with a fitness coach before and it did not work. That's a thinking distortion because you're using evidence from the past to dictate your future. It doesn't work that way. Okay. So we need to start dismantling the thinking distortion there around the fear that this is going to happen again. The biggest indicator of your future is actually you and your action steps and your choices. That's the biggest predictor, not the past. We allow things to repeat an awful lot, but we all stop that out of us and go, oh, it's due, due to this, due to this, due to this. But we actually have the power to change our futures. Um, anybody coming in, I think the, the biggest fear sense can be like, oh my God, I'm going to be like running 5K every morning. I'm going to be eating rabbit food. It's not that. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if it was that. Um, it is very much around meeting where you're at and slowly stepping into this new way of life that is your ideal because for a lot of people they can I hands up I have done this where I've said right when I wake up in the morning there will be you know I'm going to have a bottle of water next to bed I'm going to drink one whole liter before you can get up out of the bed I'm going to journal every single morning and we completely dramatically change everything overnight 
and it feels great because you feel like you're being productive for about a week and then after that it becomes hard and not enjoyable and that's because it's not your identity we have identity and we have behaviors attached to our identity so if I just gave you a bunch of new behaviors and we did not do anything to change your identity then they're not going to become natural to you and your mind is going to start fighting you on them so it's about gradually kind of almost like gently like bringing your mind over like sometimes I think of it as like you know like a rescue animal where they're kind of going oh don't touch me I want the love but don't touch me and they're terrified but it's about gently showing them this is safe this is nice you know we're going to show you very gently until you feel comfortable then we're going to go to the next level that's what this is it's about very gently stepping into it to each level till you feel confident little bit of discomfort but that's how we know we're growing and then moving to the next level upon the next level and the evidence is in so many of the ladies in the community who started off with feeling uncomfortable stepping into the gym and now they're like walking through that weights area as if they fucking <laughs> own it <laughs> they're pushing through it and a big part of it is, is around realizing all those thinking distortions that you do have of yourself because a lot of those things are what are keeping you stuck and they're not true you know I, I always say a thought is just a thought it's not fact until you make it so. So that's where we can get stuck on it. I can't do this. Okay, so I'm not going to do it. Okay, who made that true? I did, because I did not take the action step to do it. And, you know, I'll, as you often hear me say, what would your mind be like without that thought? If I could reach in magically and pull it out of your mind, what would happen next? I would probably go on and do it. Fantastic. So is that thought serving you? Do you need to listen to it? Do you need to align your behavior with it? No. Then leave a flow on through. I think that's the bit that a lot of people find hard to is like, how do, how do I ignore those thoughts? And it's not about ignoring them, but it's just not about giving them the value. You know, I, I do this as well with intrusive thought work where it, you imagine that in your mind, you're throwing a dinner party, right? And there's waiters walking around with little trays of food and little trays of Prosecco, right? You've invited all your friends and all the things that you value to this party. And this stranger walks in who you have not invited and you're going, how dare you be in my party? You control big, like, hoo-ha about it and make a big scene in front of everyone and ruin the party, okay? And that's what's happening in that one where you're trying to challenge it and you say, you're not right and you don't belong here. We can have that approach, right? Usually a lot harder. Or we can say, ah, you weren't invited. We'll let you have your little moment. Say what you need to say, get a few tapas and get bored and go out again. I'm going to keep focusing on the ones that I do value. And keep focusing on people that I did invite to this party. That's what we need to do with our mindset. Sometimes when thoughts get sticky, we just allow them to sit there, but we keep engaging in behaviors that do reflect what we want. That's how we start to move through it. Powerful. And I love that analogy. I really love it. <laughs> but Jean, you must get at times a harsh inner critic. Like you are human. <laughs> and I think like people can look at psychotherapists, coaches and think, they've always got it together. They must always be happy. They must have no problems. But of course you get a harsh inner critic at times. So how do you cope with that? Well, first of all, do psychotherapists have it all together? Do they fuck? (laughs) 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 No, and I think um, like, yeah, I do get a really harsh inner critic, but I have done so much self-awareness now that I can almost predict it. I can see it coming. So I know like within the ladies in the community, we did the burnout scale. So I have my own burnout scale and I know what my symptoms are and all these different things. And I know certain indicators that I know now that an inner critic is coming. So if I don't do my session notes for my therapy, as soon as my therapy session is done, I'm like, oh, little indicator there. If the bin starts overflowing in the kitchen, I'm like, oh, 
Linda Ginner there, right? If the washing basket starts overflowing, if my kids are particularly kind of like, oh, mom, 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 I'm like, oh, I'm slipping into burner because I'm not giving them attention. So I know all these things. And usually what comes with that then is a strong inner critic. Usually what ties into that is coping mechanisms. So I have not been relying on my long-term coping mechanisms. So, you know, I had an accident in January, which meant I tore my ACL and I got bone contusions. So I could not train. I, I, so I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and that was a huge coping mechanism for me that I actually underestimated. And I was, I, I literally, my heart and a critic criticized me over that because it was going, oh, all that you do to preach but not becoming reliant on one coping mechanism. And here you are, you did it yourself. But I actually underestimated how much of a coping mechanism it was for me. And I really struggled afterwards to find, look at that, you fall into the own trap that you preach about. And I massively beat myself up when I was like, you're not helping yourself, you're playing victim, all this, you're making it up in your head, right? That was another thing I told myself, you're making up this injury in your head. And to the doctor, the doctor was like, you have no ACL. <laughs> it has gone. And I was like, oh, I'm not Definitely making, not making that one up. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, so that's why. Um, so yeah, you do get a really harsh and a critic. And I think the things that I learned was leaning back into coping mechanisms, right? So going to the gym and I very much treat, I know a lot of people treat the gym as, you know, going to get your fitness to look a certain way. I treat it very much as a mental health space. So I will go on days where I feel crap and I will just train shoulders because that makes me feel good. It's an exercise I enjoy doing. And then sometimes at the end, if I'm feeling a bit better, I will train on the legs. My shoulders will be massive by the end of the year, by the time I have <laughs> No knees, but massive shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> it's just nobody looking the way it's um, <laughs> um, So yeah, like leaning into building up new coping mechanisms, but also, and a big thing was talking, talking. So I would say to my partner, like, I think like I'm I'm playing victim here or I'm making this into a bigger deal or I'm really annoyed at myself for the way that I'm behaving. And he would literally, he's really good in the way of he would know what to say to me. Like, can you hear what you just said? Sometimes that's all he needs to say. And I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then I can start the journey of challenging myself. Or other times he would say, do you need like this big thing that we do within our family? Do you need comfort? Or do you need a solution? And he would say, what do you need? And I go, I need a hug. Right. Because sometimes he's very solution focused. A lot of men are, but they would start to give loads and loads of solutions. And you're going, you shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear you. Because he was all about, he's kind of a specialist. And we're going to get this exercise and plan for you. And we're going to get this support in place for your knee. And we're going to look into this type of surgery. And I was going, I just want to cry. And I would like a hug, please. <laughs> so also being able to communicate that, like, stop talking and just give me a hug. And maybe, like, can we watch a movie together? Because he was even like, even last night, like, I was absolutely wrecked. And I was like, what I miss was in jiu-jitsu. And he was like, will we put the mats down and you can just choke me? <laughs> I was like, I totally get what you're doing there. But right now I'm actually just too wrecked. But maybe tomorrow. <laughs> no, man, to choke somebody in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a move, right? So it's one of my favorite. It's nothing this is what they get up to in their spare time. <laughs> there's nothing kinky about that right Um, (laughs) but to see kind of what you like what coping mechanisms I actually needed in that moment were really important to me because I had to shift everything because that heart and acrylic was coming out very strong and it was starting to because your heart and acrylic doesn't just take a seat in one area of your life it creeps in in one area but it starts to ripple out so I was like I don't enjoy this and I, it's becoming quite strong and I hadn't experienced it that strong for many, many years. So I was like, I really need to take a handle on this. 
So I started really leaning into other things, started booking back in therapy for myself, started like doing other things that I know bring me joy, like putting like putting on Celine Dion and fucking screaming at the top of my lungs while making <laughs> breakfast the coping mechanism that has come back up really strongly. So even finding, because I think a lot of people lose, like say running, it could be a really big coping mechanism and people lose it and they go, there's nothing else that can take its space. Nothing else gives me that. That's my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I need to look at m- making multiples of small things to build it back up. So that's kind of what I did. So we have the gym, we have me going to therapy, we have me randomly choking my partner out <laughs> to build it back up. So then they collectively together can hold me, can hold me because I think a lot of that harsh and a critic is your mental well-being overall. It's just a symptom. It's not, it's not the only thing that is happening. So instead it's about looking a little bit deeper. So yeah, I do get a harsh and a critic. I am human. And I think a lot of people forget that about coaches and about psychotherapists that like that we don't have hard days and we do but I, I think that's the the good thing because if I find everything really easy then what happens is when people come to me and they go I'm really struggling I go for what you're fine come no, on get now. yeah yeah so it's about kind of going I get that I know that life can be really tough and let me sit with you because when you've been in really hard places before your ability to sit in them with other people is so much easier because you've sat in that storm you know what it feels like but also those emotions don't scare you Mm. because you know them so when other people display them you can go I get this I can sit with you I can comfort you I can hear you and that's the important piece so I actually think it is like there's a huge um research thing that was done on psychotherapists to look at the rate of trauma so the rate of trauma is one in three in general population the rate in psychotherapists I think is I think it's like three and four in psychotherapists it's, I, I don't quote me on that but I'm pretty sure they, they were the rates so it's far higher in psychotherapists so if you're worrying about your therapist judging you don't because first of all we're trained on all of that but also to know that they have gone through their own shit more than likely and that's what's actually was bought into therapy so their empathy is going to be really really high mm-hmm. and the same thing if you look at any fitness coaches yeah the majority of them came from a place where they felt you know and you do you you yeah. all you know, why I do what I do yeah. now yeah yeah you've come from that really really hard place you know the struggle you know what it's like not to feel good in your body you know what it's like to look around for support and not be able to find it's you to create it yourself you know what that's like so if anybody's going Amy's in a real shape she's not going to understand me when I do these things Amy can understand you because Amy was you yeah and I think that's so powerful there as well. Like, yeah, nobody should ever kind of put us on a pedestal, be scared to ask for help because, yeah, we do what we do because we have been there and we totally empathize and want to help people who were where we were. So, yeah, so much power in that. And I think like every client that comes into the WOW Academy, mm-hmm. most of them remind me of where I was before and it is just so rewarding and fulfilling to be able to support these women with you by my side, with you as my sidekick there. And yeah, just totally transform. Yes, physical, but so much deeper than that. And the changes we see in life have been absolutely phenomenal. And yeah, that's thanks to you a lot as well, Jean. So thank you. Um, so I want to finish and on a little bit of a quick fire question round. Yeah. And we can both do this, have a little bit of fun with it to end yeah. on a nice high here. <laughs> So, Jean, what's your biggest fear? 
Oh, I was thinking about this one and without going all like drowning is probably one that I'm terrified of. So hopefully that won't happen. Um, spiders. Yeah. <laughs> and I was only saying it to a client of the day. Sometimes I remember a child first pointed out to me. He was like, why do you always look up? Like if I was ever having a therapy session, sometimes I just look up and he was like, is it because you're thinking? I was like, no, I'm actually scanning for spiders. Oh my God. <laughs> just to make sure, because it once happened to me when I was in therapy myself and a spider came down right in front of me. So my mind is evidence that spiders can be fucking anywhere, right? <laughs> and I remember um, when I was training to become a psychotherapist, we were talking about like phobias and systematic desensitization. And my like lecturer is saying, do you want to work on spiders around this? Do you want to? And I was like, no, <laughs> be for terrain I'm not motivated enough to get rid of the phobia. I do not want to touch a spider. So yeah, spiders, definitely. Oh my gosh. I'll tell you mine whilst we're on the subject. Being homeless and like losing everything. Yeah, just like totally yeah, losing everything, like yeah. losing my business, losing my home, and mm-hmm. and also like going to prison. And I think this this probably stems from childhood. My mum used to do a lot of work with homeless people, but also take people into our house. And then they had a friend who was in prison who I remember visiting when we were young. So I think it's probably stemming from somewhere. But yeah, it freaks me out. Freaks me out a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting because those fears then can drive you to behave in a certain way. Yeah, so you're probably really, especially with the homeless one, probably hyper fixated on pushing with your business to ensure that you are safe. Yes, yes, I am, yeah. and then I get all sorts of thoughts around it. Oh, I'm failing. Oh, I can't do it. So, yeah, and so, really, are they right? Fears. No, they're they're <laughs> all bring awareness to them before yeah. they impact those behaviors. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jean. What is your guilty pleasure? Oh, this one is slightly uh, embarrassing and probably disgusting. Um, so when I can't sleep at night, right? So I do one of two things. When I can't sleep at night, if I'm having a night where, let's be honest, we always talk about like sleep hygiene, don't be on your phone. Yeah. I do go on my phone, right? Leave me alone. Yeah. Nobody judge me. I do go on my phone sometimes if I can't sleep. Uh, the two things that I do are I go on to, in Ireland, we have a website called daft.ie. So it's like um, a renting or buying houses website I just like to look at houses yeah <laughs> go in and look at all the rooms stuff that that's the one that's probably pc right the other one that I do is I will go on youtube or onto tiktok and I will watch blackhead squeezing videos or whitehead oh I love them too yeah. Yeah. hairs is probably my favorite oh yes Ooh. I find them so satisfying that's <laughs> why my partner sometimes it'll go me like you're disgusting and I'm like I don't care I love it <laughs> I would love that job. If I couldn't do this job, that's the job I'd probably do. Oh, there you go. There's your calling. Yeah. <laughs> All <Yeah>. else fails. <laughs> what it's about yours? <laughs> yeah. What about yours? What's your guilty pleasure? It's funny you said about the houses, because I love like walking in the evenings when people have still got their curtains open, walking through the streets and like looking in and like looking what everyone's doing in their houses. <laughs> I do that too. What are they doing? Mark's like so nosy, and I'm like, no, I just really find it interesting. What is yeah. everyone doing in their houses? Even kind of like, what are you watching on telly? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, what are they watching? Is it Eastenders? Yeah. <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> so funny. Love it. Um, okay, what brings you joy, even on those toughest of days? Mm. So I had to think about this, and I think something that has stayed stable with me for the past I'm gonna say like six and a half years is um heartbeats and mm. so the first time I heard Sophia's heartbeat on the sonogram 
right? You're going to get your 12 week scan was one of the most relieving moments I've ever felt because I was fully convinced that like I was going to miscarry and all these different things at the start. I think a lot of women have that anxiety. So to hear her heartbeat was so like, oh, so on tough days, what I do now is I ask my kids and they're so used to it. Like, can I listen to your heart? And they listen to mine. And if I'm having a day where everything feels overwhelming, everything feels like it's going wrong, maybe there is a genuine crisis in life. I will literally just go and put my head on their heart and just listen to it beating and just know that that's the main thing. Their hearts are beating. The loves of my life are still here. And like, I'll do it with my partner as well. I'll do it with my mom and I will just listen to their heartbeats because even like psychosomatically, right? Listening to a rhythm be- rhythmic beating will calm your body. But it's so much more than that for me. It's like really connecting with their hearts are beating. That's all that matters. And lo- usually it's like, because I think I have them primed since like babyhood that they go really still and just let me do this. And they do it to me too. So it's a lovely still moment. So I think that will always be a thing that will kind of keep me held in yeah. days where I love that so special I love yeah. it yeah. what about you <laughs> oh so I think pen and paper because genuinely the amount of times I have been in tears like total meltdowns and I have just got a pen and paper and written yeah and being able to just use my pen and paper to find whatever joy or whatever I needed in that moment on that pen and paper with that yeah. pen and paper yeah, so I, I'm so grateful at those times to be able to just write and just yeah. pour my heart out. Mm, and it is good because even the physical aspect of kind of like getting it out on paper is almost kind of like symbolically releasing it from you. But also then as well, sometimes you start to write and you start to see your words written in front of you, you can go, that's not true. Mm. Or Jesus, that's really harsh. I Like, it was that in my head the whole time? And as soon as you start to see it on paper, or even if you think somebody else read this, yeah, you know, I can start to actually see the impact of your words that were in your head and go, that's not true, or I'm underestimated this, I've overestimated this, and just release it all out of you. It's such a good tool to have. Yeah. And it always does lift me and yeah. makes you realize, oh, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Things I love aren't that, that bad. Yeah. <laughs> all right. This is a good one. What yeah. is your most embarrassing moment? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my most embarrassing moment was probably in therapy so not like me being the therapist so I had a client who was talking through I so I need to give a backstory here I get bad migraines sometimes and when I get bad migraines it affects my speech kind of in the run-up to it but also for like the day afterwards my speech can go a little bit like clunky like it doesn't the words don't quite make sense and like sentences get mixed up and stuff like that so I'd had a migraine the day before and I thought I'm fine I can go back and do therapy today I'll, I'll be okay this client came in a lovely gentleman and he was talking about Bangkok and Hong Kong right and I was trying to like explain that I was you know understanding blah 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 and I was like so when you're speaking about Hong Kong and he was like and I was like sorry that's not and in my head it did not make sense what I had just said so I kept repeating it going that doesn't make sense what's the word I'm looking for Hong Kong no that's not right Hong Kong no that's not it and his face was like draining and I was like he was like Bangkok and Hong Kong I was like that's it thank you so much and it was I think in that moment my my being completely oblivious to what I had just said actually served me so well because I got off the call and I was like right my notes I was like Hong Kong <gasps> oh my gosh <laughs> I love it please and Hong Kong to a like perfect client <laughs> <laughs> that's probably my one I would say that's format <laughs> as your eyes diverted down to that area as well 
<laughs> what about you? What's your most embarrassing moment? So mine was probably not too long ago, actually. I was on a walk on a weekend and we were actually walking through town and mm. I suddenly felt, oh, it's a bit of a breeze on my bum. <gasps> and I was like, Mark, like, and he's like, oh my gosh, Amy, your leggings are like totally ripped. Like <laughs> to the point my whole bum was out. We're not even talking a little hole. It was full on ripped. And I only had like a tiny little jumper, which did not really cover it. And we were like three miles from home still. So I had to walk home with it. Bum hanging out. I'm probably... <laughs> like, thong. And that's what I was going to ask. Were you wearing like knickers or a tog? Just a tog. <laughs> that makes sense. That reminds me of that Ricky Gervais um, joke. Have you heard that Ricky Gervais has a story about his friend who went for a job interview? And he was really nervous at the job interview. And did the interview it went really well and then the, the people were like well done you've got the job and he said that he got, got such an upset tummy from this that he shat his pants oh my god and was like so panicked but he had to get the last train home and he was like in a rush and he was like oh my god so he ran into TK Max, grabbed something off a rail paid for it jumped on the train and was like oh my god thank god I just made it ran into the bathrooms took off his underpants took off his pants and shoved them out the tiny window like whoosh and they were gone <laughs> he was like phew thank god and actually he took out <laughs> a jacket that he had bought. He came back to Aussie with pants. It was a jacket, and he was like, "Oh my god!" Oh dear. But it's always so funny. Anyways, oh dear. Could, it could always be worse, Amy. You could it could always it. be worse. Yeah. So I took joy in that that day. It could have been worse. <laughs> oh, so funny. Okay, and then we'll do one more, Jean. Okay. Okay. Let's have. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Hmm. I think this is kind of how I live by professionally. Mm. So I have sat with many adults and also kids who felt very alone and very misunderstood. Um, and had especially I've worked with kids in care who were very much um given no sense of hope. Like all the professionals that were working with them kind of said they'll never amount to anything. We're just sending her to therapy for you as a tick box, you know. Don't, you don't need to put too much effort into this and sitting with those kids and saying I actually do have hope for you and you know you are worthy of you know human you know responses and you are worthy and a lot of these people had trauma I was going it was so cruel the way that they were treated and misunderstood and seeing behaviors as like oh they're violent and they're challenging behaviors it's just fucking trauma and um, so I very much aim to always live by if one person in my life has felt so alone, so uncared for, so invisible, that if they come to me in therapy or even just meet me, that they feel like somebody has seen them. Like I shared it on my Instagram the other day about the impact that you can have as a person just by acknowledging somebody or making somebody feel seen or even making a child feel important. I can't express so many times that I've had adults in therapy with me when we're talking about hard things in childhood that they will name one adult who has just done something loving, something acknowledging, in just sitting with them. They will all usually have one person who has held them. Even that person may not have known what was going on. They will still be there. And if I can be that for one person, I'm happy to die because that means that I'll be remembered making a huge impact on that person's life. And that, that's what I would like to be remembered for. 
You definitely will, Jean. And not just for one person, multiple, multiple people, for sure. For sure. Oh, I love that. um, Oh, so mine would be to to be known for truly inspiring, empowering Mm -hmm. women to not follow and live that life they feel they should, Mm -hmm. but actually live congruently, really know their values and what they want. And I think you said it the other day about actually as morbid as it sounds, putting yourself on that deathbed and looking back and saying, what life do I want to be looking back on to be able to feel I can die fulfilled and happy. Mm-hmm. And I want to be getting women to that place where they're dying fulfilled and happy and can say, I didn't just follow that path I should follow. I followed what I truly wanted. So yeah, that's my mission. And this big part of my mission in the WOW Academy as well to kind of get women crystal clear on their future self, their ideal self, their values and start living congruently. So yeah, big yeah. part of what I want. <laughs> I, think you're, I think the same as what you said to me, that is, that has happened and it still is happening. Like we see it over and over again, the amount of like amazing women that we have in the community, like Michelle and Charlotte, like they have stepped really up into what they want to be. And so, and not just in how they look, that's one aspect of it, but their their careers, their relationships, everything that they're stepping through for what they want and holding themselves to that. Mm-hmm. And also the, the people around them, the life around them, they're able yeah. to kind of step everything up. And so the evidence is there, you're already doing it. Oh, thank you so much, Jean. That means a lot. Thank you. Oh, well, Jean, honestly, it has been absolutely amazing today. And yeah, it's just been a roller coaster of emotions, as I knew it would be ups and downs ending on such a high. And thank you to everyone who's listened in as well. And if you have kind of been listening in and thinking, wow, yeah, I actually feel like I'd like to get to know Jean or Amy a little bit more. I think I'd like a little bit more support in terms of reaching my goals, whether that be physical goals, mindset goals, emotional life goals. Do Mm -hmm. reach out to Jean or myself. So Mm -hmm. Jean, do you want to just give your Instagram and I'll pop it in the show notes as well? Yeah, so it's your dot best dot. Oh no, hold on, I don't even know what it is. Your dot best dot self. I'll put it in the show notes. Is that anyway. my don't name? Panic. That's don't terrible. I'm a on terrible the professional. Oh, I think here it is. Jean dot your dot. That that's what it is. Yeah. Jean dot your dot best dot self. Lots of dots. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah. And I am at AP Fit Coach. But thank you everyone for listening in. And if you found this episode helpful today, please do share it with someone else that you think would get a lot of benefit from it as well. And you will then be helping that person, which is what we are all about. But thank you so much for listening to us today. We cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this episode. And if you think at any point, actually, I'd like to work with Jean and Amy in the WOW Academy, do just drop me that little message. But Thank you, Jean. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. That was so much fun.